So we come now to uh, God's Word. We're going to be looking at a remarkable part of Scripture for the next number of weeks. And we begin today where we should begin, with chapter 1. So I would like you to take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 1. And I would like to have a stand because we are going to be hearing from our Father's Word. Daniel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from among the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel, could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into the service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked to them, and he found none equal to Daniel, 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And this is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Every Christian carries at least two passports, one temporary and one permanent. The temporary one, my temporary one, is from the United States. It's our secondary citizenship. The permanent one is the kingdom of God. It is our primary citizenship. Do you have that? Until you grasp this, you'll never really learn how to live well in this world as a follower of the Lord Jesus. Because the point of the Bible is that when you place your faith in Jesus, then you belong from head to toe to God. And the Bible says you and I are given a different citizenship that eclipses any other with a different king. Our ultimate king is the king over all kings. So that you and I live in this world. But I'm telling you, with this knowledge deep inside that you were really made to honor God, to live for God, and to glorify Him. In fact, I've become increasingly convinced that you and I can't really live fully in this world until it sinks in, that this world is not the primary place that God has made us for. Because when you find yourself living for anything in this world, thinking you have to have that, when you find any kind of allegiance in this world that becomes your ultimate allegiance, you're always going to have your life messed up. Just, just mark it down. You'll always find that you are disappointed because the first one, the real king of your life, has to be the first one in your life. You and I were made for a different king and for a different kingdom. So all of that is to say that when you and I become followers of Jesus, when we give our lives to Jesus by faith, we're going to continue to live in this world, but with our ultimate allegiance every day of our lives being to the kingdom of God. Are, are you with me here? That, that's very biblical. You know that, don't you? But the real question is how we do that, right? What does that look like in our daily living? And I don't know if there's any place in the Bible that addresses that more directly than the book of Daniel. It was written, I mean... He lived over two and a half thousand years ago. So you might think, what, what on earth can you learn from somebody that long ago about living in the world that we're in right now? But I'll tell you, the more we look at it, the more I think you're going to see that this is relevant to where you and I are. So let's begin where we should begin with chapter one. What do you think? <laughs> Let me set the stage. Uh, Daniel, it seems, grew up in a very prestigious home in Jerusalem. But in, uh, even though his family seemed to have been godly people, the leaders of the nation of Judah, his country, were walking away from God, and the whole country was besieged, and it was deteriorating. But there was a great military uh, superpower of the day. It was Babylon, 
And they had this crazy king, King Nebuchadnezzar II. There, there's this one artifact here. I'll show you this statue of him so you can see sort of what, what he looked like. He was one of those people who just lived for himself, and he was bent on world domination. Uh, Jeremiah would even call him the destroyer of nations in Jeremiah 4.7. Because Nebuchadnezzar just went out and took over one nation after another after another, including Judah. In fact, when you read about it in history, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in and took over Daniel's country of Judah, besieged it at least three times. I'll, I'll tell you about it. The first was in 605 B.C. And no, I wasn't alive back then. 605 B.C. Uh, he took just a few of Judah's very smartest Look at verse 4. <laughs> Smartest, best-looking, capable young men, and he just ripped them out of their homes and took them all the way back to Babylon. Then about eight years later, in 597 B.C., he took a second group, this time of 10,000 of the Jewish people, and one of them was the prophet Ezekiel that you read about from him in the Bible. And then after that, another 11 years, Nebuchadnezzar came back and destroyed the entire city of Jerusalem. So what you've got to see, Daniel was in the first group. He was one of the, he was the cream of the crop, you know, that they took in the first group. So when he was taken captive, he was probably somewhere between 14 and 16 years old. So I'm going to call him 15, okay? And he really was among the best and the brightest of all the young men in Judah. So he and at least three others were taken to Babylon, which was almost 1,700 miles away. So I'll just show you sort of a map of that so you can just get an idea of, of what's going on here. Because I want you to imagine what happened to Daniel. When you think about Daniel, you've got to think about a high school student. You've got to think about a high school student having this happen to him. Can, can you imagine it in your home? These band of pagan soldiers breaks into your home. They come and they see the one that they want. They want Daniel. They take him, seize him, take him out, and you never see him again. If you had been Daniel... What would you have been thinking? What are they going to do to me, don't you think? Are they going to kill me? Are they going to make me a slave? And mostly because I think he was already a godly young man. Where is God? Where is God? Can't you imagine that? So I want to start with that last question. Where is God when things like this happen? that just make absolutely no sense to us. If he is the king over all kings, as I started with, where is God my king? And, and the answer that Daniel's going to give in chapter 1 is, he is always present, and he's always in control. God is always present, and he's always in control. Now, let's face it. It certainly wouldn't have looked like God was in control to Daniel, do you think? or to the three other boys who were taken, and especially, can you imagine that? If you'd been his, his, his mother or father or grandparents and this had happened, would you have thought, well, God's in control of all this. Thank you, Jesus. I, I don't think we would say that. But here, Daniel writes this in such a way that he wants us to be sure to know that he had learned that this was all God's doing. If you could read it in Daniel's own language, and sadly, uh, our English versions don't help us with this, so I'll have to have you help, help you walk through it. So I hope you have your Bible in front of you. He uses one phrase three times that just drives home that this was a part of God's plan. And the phrase that, that he uses is, and God gave, and God gave. Let me show it to you. Verse 2, 
And God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. Because I'll tell you, from a worldly perspective, it sure looked like Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiakim into his own hands. But no, no, no. Then it says, this was all a part of what God is doing. Uh, what was he doing? In the coming weeks, we're going to see a little bit more about why this was important for Daniel and the others to go there to Babylon. But today, let me just tell you one thing that I, I chewed about on this last year at, 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 at uh, Christmas season, that you wonder, how did those magi who came from the east, who came and said, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? How did they know about this prophecy? about the king of the Jews. They were Persians coming all the way from that place. Persians like Nebuchadnezzar was a Persian. I'm pretty sure that with the incredible places of influence and leadership that Daniel had had for so long and and his faithfulness to Jehovah, the way that they knew that that was that that message had been given for a long time going all the way back to Daniel. Just one of the many things we're going to see. And God gave. Verse 9, the same phrase comes, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of this Babylonian official. Because I'm telling you, it really looked like there was no way that these uh, four young men who were there could have ever remained separate and holy to God, living for God in this world where they're going to try to undo that. And yet, amazingly, it says God worked in the heart of this one Babylonian official, and God does that. I don't always know exactly how this works out, but God works in our hearts, and I'm always praying that that's going to happen when you come to, to church here. And he gave Daniel favor so that he then made a decision that enabled these boys to stay separate and holy to the Lord. And then verse 17 for the third time, and God gave. When they had to go and stand before the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who often lopped people's heads off, Uh, Verse 17, and God gave them knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning so that when they were tested, they were better than anyone. Now, if if we have any uh, students who are here today, uh, let me just tell you, I know some students read this and say, this is the way I want it to happen to me. I I won't study. And so I'm just going to go in and pray, God, just fill my knowledge. You know, it was a vacuum. There's nothing in there. Just fill it so that I can do this. That's not the way it worked, I'm sure. I'm sure that Daniel was an absolutely diligent student, but I'll tell you at the same time, he made their minds alive and alert. He was with them in all that they did. I I think this first point has so much to say to all of us. This time of year when you get to the summer, so many of you are headed off either to college or into a new vocation, or you're being moved to a new location. Don't you think this has direct application to you? It just tells you that wherever you go, there is no God-forsaken place in this nation, no God-forsaken place in this entire universe. Wherever you go, God is there. Wherever you go, God is God. (laughs) Wherever you go, your main king is still going to be there, and you can live in allegiance to him. So I've written this for you. When you find yourself in any kind of situation, just make a choice. Choose to interpret being in that place as God put me here. And know that God will be there. And know this too, that wherever he sends you, even if, if you feel like you've been seized, you know, like that, and even if it feels like Babylon, that he's put you wherever he puts you for a reason And that usual reason is so that you can bless others who will come across your path in that place. 
and he's put you there so you can give witness to his name. That's the first thing I want you to see. But even though God is going to be there, I'm going to tell you, uh, this world will try to shape you into its image rather than into the image of God. So what will the kingdoms of this world try to do? And what I've said here, it'll always try to mold you so that you'll become like everybody else around you. Uh, They were to be trained for three years, verse 5. And then after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, as I read this, the main point of this from God's perspective is he sends these young men into that place to be distinctive, to live distinctive lives so that they could give witness to Jehovah God as being the one God. But every influence around them in that new place was trying to shape them not to be different as those who belong to God, but to be like everybody else in their culture and in their society. And as I read about the ways that the Babylonians try to shape them and make them like culture around them, I think they're very real to the way that our culture tries to often shape us. I'll I'll just point out three of the ways. One was by separation. So they were ripped out of their homes where, you know, they felt like they had to please their parents and all and and sent into a brand new place. So when you think about it, uh, when they got into Babylon, they no longer had to please their parents or or their grandparents. They never had uh, to please their pastor. They never, no longer had a, youth, a church youth group, <laughs> you know, to try to, to live life with in that place as a follower of Jesus. And I'll just tell you, you know this is true, that when you and I have the freedom to do whatever we want to do without the constraints of our family or our church, then you have the freedom to do what is consistent with what you truly are inside when you're dislocated from your comfort zones, your family zones, and so forth, then you find out who you truly are. Are you with me here? Or maybe what you really find out is whose you truly are. That's why I called the the message, whose are you? Uh, You will discover, uh, once you get out of the setting of your home, whether Jesus truly is the Lord of your life, or whether this faith that you profess is just a religion of, uh, of your culture. And so the, the question when you come to church always is, is this real to you? Is Jesus truly the Lord of your life? And I, Daniel discovered there when he was separated that it was real. God was his God. The other thing, not just separation, they, they really used indoctrination. They were forced to go through three years of intense Babylonian education. And you've got to know this that much of what they would have been taught would have clashed with everything they had been taught from the scriptures. I've been trying to imagine what the professors at the King's University at Babylon would have thought of these provincial Jewish boys. Who do these Jewish boys think they are? Do they really believe that their God is the God of the whole world? Why, why their God's artifacts, we've stolen all of them, they're in our place now. And they think their God is powerful over everything. Well, our king was able to subdue them not just once, but three times. We live in the 6th century B.C., I'm sure they thought. We live in the 6th century. How can anybody believe those old Jewish stories in their Bibles anymore? I hope you see it. I think these Jewish boys had to think deeply about whether this faith that they had believed in was true and whether the God that they said that they had met was real. Have you ever gone through a time like that in your life? 
I have, I have. I remember when I was studying in Cambridge, it just seemed like everything I read, every lecture I heard undermined everything I believed. But then you have to find out whether this is real or not. It seems like they did. So there was separation, there was, there was indoctrination, and the big thing was this identification. They were assigned different names. Uh, do you remember our last series, if you weren't here, we, we were thinking about how God would often change names because names in the ancient world really meant a lot. It said a lot about your character, about your identity. And so when you bring this here, you see what took place. These four boys had surely come from a godly home because their parents had given them such God-centered names. Uh, there was Daniel, which means God is my judge. There was Hananiah, which means approved by Jehovah. There was Mishael, which, which declares no one like my God. And there was Azariah, God is my help, my refuge. Well, I'll tell you, they, these, these young men were destined for great leadership for the king, so they couldn't keep names like that, that identifying them with uh, Jehovah God, so that immediately they were assigned different names, and I'll show it to you just to see what is happening and how they tried to change their whole identity. Daniel, God is my judge, they called Belteshazzar, which means Bel's prince, uh, Bel being the main god of the Babylonian pantheon there. Hananiah, approved by God, they called Shadrach led by Aku, who was their sun god. Mishael, no one like my god. They called Meshach, who is like Shaq, not, not, uh, not O'Neill. You know, not, not, <laughs> no. Though you might ask that too, but he is another one of their gods. They not like Jehovah, but like this. And then Azariah, Jehovah is my help. They called Abednego, a servant of the shining fire another of their gods. Is the point of all this clear to you? Uh, the goal of the Babylonians in all of this was to erase all the distinctions that these Jewish boys had. As they were taking over the world, what they wanted to do is to make everybody Babylonians in their thought and in their worldview. See, the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar especially wanted to rule the world, and their strategy was so much different from the way other superpowers had done it. Other superpowers had gone in and defeated a nation and then made all of the people of that nation their slaves. The Babylonians didn't do that. They would defeat a nation and then tried to make all the people of those nations Babylonians. Uh, in this one, they were going to bring in the best and the brightest of these young men. They were going to make them Babylonians in thought and in philosophy and in ideology. Then they would send them back in as representatives of the king they would have Jewish faces there in Judah, but they would be Babylonians. They wanted to wipe out anything other than Babylonians. Do you remember our series earlier this year about God's plan? I called it God's biggest story. That God's biggest story is he's going to bring a blessing to all people of this world. And he was going to start by taking Abraham and keeping Abraham and his family to be distinctive people. Do you remember that? But they had to keep separate from the rest of the world. Do you see what's at stake here? If they're just sort of meshed into becoming Babylonians, nothing distinctive about them. The whole plan of God would be destroyed. I'll tell you, how would these boys, just think about this as high school guys, how would they remain faithful to God in a world that was committed to molding them into the image of their culture? There's the question, which brings me to this point that I, I want to make. How can we then live for our king while we're living in another kingdom, 
because I'll tell you, the kingdoms of our world continue to try to mold us to become like everybody else. Amen? Uh, and what I'm saying is, we learn from chapter 1, find a way to identify whose you are and then go out and live serving others in His name. What we're going to discover uh, the rest of this summer is that Daniel lived for God in that place. God was his king, but he also made positive contributions to the people in this, his new nation. He, he lived well in his world without ever becoming conformed to it. Uh, do you want to learn how to do that? Okay, three of us. Well, for the three who are there, let me boil down what Daniel did because I think these are important. You might want to mark them down. Number one, be aware. Be aware. Uh, verse 5 will kind of get it to you. Of the pressures to conform to this world. It's, it seems to me that although he was only 15 years old, Daniel was able to discern what was at stake in responding to what the Babylonians were trying to do in making him in mind and will and emotion a Babylonian. So, so this... He was, he was in a battle in Daniel 1, but it's not the same kind of sensational battles we're going to see a little bit later. This wasn't like uh, the battle there in a fiery furnace that we're going to see in chapter 3. This wasn't like the struggles he was going to have in a lion's den that you see in chapter 6. Uh, this one is just so much more subtle, but, uh, but I think it's the most dangerous one of all. He, he was in a battle for his mind and his soul. He was going to have to resist all the allures of the wealthiest and most powerful nation in the world. And I'll tell you, I, I think sometimes the beginning in that kind of battle, which all of us are in, in some, to some level, it always begins with awareness. It's hard take a stand and be distinctive when you're not really aware of what's trying to make you or force you into the, the patterns of this world, as Paul would talk about in Romans chapter 8. So the question I, I want to ask, do you see any place in your life where, you, where you're feeling the pressures no longer to, to really remain a distinctive person living for the Lord Jesus? Do you feel anything where the world's trying to make you, wherever you are at work or at school or in your, your, your family, if they're not believers, they're trying to make you like them and not someone com completely committed to God? It can happen in any setting, not just in Babylon, not just in a secular university. It can happen in any setting. The kingdoms of this world try to shape us into something other than the kingdom of our Christ. So be aware, be aware. Second thing I see in him is be resolute. Be resolute about maintaining your identity as a child of the king. Now, you know, the one who is the king over all kings. I love this phrase, verse eight. But Daniel resolved. What, what do you think of that? What a strong word. What a powerful commitment. I just feel like day after day, that resolve was tested. Would he truly remain faithful to God? It's always the case. And one of the things I think is this. Daniel's question as he lived each day of his life was, was never just, can I do this or can I not? You know, the kind of the question of legalism. I'm sure he could have found some excuse to do almost anything the Babylonians asked him to do. No, it seems to me that the question that he asked was always this. 
how can I, now that I'm here, and I'm not sure how long I'll have to be here, but how can I be a person who consistently lives for God in this place? How can I be set apart as someone whose king is the king over all kings in this place in which he has sent me? So I want to say, never be naive about the incredible molding, shaping power of culture. Uh, You need a deep inner resolve to live in a way that those around you will know that you belong to Jesus, that you are a child of the King over all kings. I just wonder sometimes, because I don't know if we live in a world of much resolve, have, have you ever resolved to do anything or not to do something that will simply because you want to identify yourself as belonging to God? Has there ever been that kind of resolve? I I just want to ask us all today to make a renewed commitment like Daniel made. Resolve in your mind, will, and heart that you will not merely become like everybody else around you. Wherever he sends you, uh, Daniel resolved in his heart. If you know how to highlight something, highlight that. Uh, I'm asking you to do the same. And then finally, be wise about identifying some specific thing that will really sort of identify, set you apart as belonging to God. I'll tell you, think about it. In a situation like this, I can see two other kinds of reactions other than Daniel's. You could decide, I'm going to be different about everything. I'm not going to go to these schools. I'm not going to let them call me these names. I'm going to be different about everything. Then you'd be able to be different, that's for sure, but but probably you wouldn't have any influence in the world where you are. You'd probably have your head lopped off by Nebuchadnezzar. He did that a lot. Uh, Or you could go the other way. I tell you what, in my heart, I'll sort of remain a follower of God, but I'm just going to give in to all the things that are here. Then you might be able to have a place of of influence, but, but you wouldn't be distinctive. You wouldn't be known as belonging to God. So I want you to notice this. Daniel did not reject going to school and learning what the professors were teaching. Having been in school so long, this is an important point. He may not have believed it all. I'm quite sure that's true, aren't you? But he mastered it all. And he did not say, I'm not going to serve this megalomaniac king who ripped me out of my house and brought me here to Babylon. What could he possibly be thinking? No, he chose to serve that king, even to bless that king. We're going to see that week after week after week. And Daniel didn't even refuse to let the others call him Belteshazzar. No, he answered to that name, but at the same time, he made sure they all knew that he really belonged to the one true God who was his king. What, what did Daniel choose to do? You, you know it already. You heard me read it. You already knew this before. It had to do with food and drink. Uh, now that I've been here at Lake, we have so many of you who come from other parts of the world, I begin to realize how important food and drink is in many cultures. Some of you, half of your pictures on Instagram are of pictures of food, and because for so many, you know, food is <laughs> what we, knits us together, right? So I see here too, food was a big thing, identifying him. Why did Daniel choose not to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine? I'm telling you. Bible students have speculated about this. Some say, well, probably it had 
king's food had been offered to idols, and Daniel didn't want to eat food offered to idols. Or, or, or maybe, well, there were the Jewish food laws, and some of that may have broken that. Maybe he didn't want to eat, but some of the food wouldn't have broken those food laws. But still, maybe that's it. The other one that's more recent, more of a Southern California thing, maybe it's because the Bible's saying that being a vegan is the only way to really live for God. <laughs> so, uh, but that would contradict a few other places in the Bible as well. I see something else. I'll tell you, are you with me here? I believe that the main thing was that Daniel knew that if he could find a way to eat differently, he would not become like everybody else around him. Everybody else would surely have wanted that, you know, the best food and the best wine came from the king. So think about Daniel. He'd been in a country that had been ravaged by war, so I'm sure he didn't have very good food. Now to be able to have this, it would be hard to give it up. But he knew at the same time that if this happens every day, three times a day, I will be reminding myself of whose I am. And every day, three times a day, I'm going to be reminding everybody else in this dining place. They're going to see it, and they're going to say, he's different. They will know whose he was. He would be a great citizen in Babylon, but his main allegiance was to his other passport. He belonged to the king who was over all kings, and he found a way to show it. How would we do that in our day? It feels to me like Daniel was somehow led by the Spirit of God to find something like this. I, I want you to begin, maybe you've already found ways to just live in a way that people at work or people in your community or, or your people at school know that somehow you're different, that you belong to God, but with you still being a good citizen and participating well in those places. But I want you to pray about whether there might be some way even now uh, that everybody might know that you're a follower of Jesus, even while you remain a, a great student or as good a student as you can be, a, a great worker or a good boss. Can you think of anything? I'll give you a few thoughts that I had. I, kind of, I thought I've got to give you a few hints here about how this might work. First thing that came to my mind was one of my favorite older movies, Chariots of Fire. It tells about these two Olympic runners. The one that I like, of course, is Eric Liddell who chose not to run on Sundays because that was the day he set apart to the Lord. But I can tell you, he still trained on all the other days. He became the best runner God had made him ever to be, uh, and he won Olympic gold. I I've wondered whether in our day, even what you're doing now, might be able to be a way to, to let our neighbors and all the people around us know that we belong, belong to Jesus. That whereas in the school nobody else is getting up early on a Sunday morning, you get up and you go. Whereas at the work nobody else goes, but, but you get up and go to church. Whereas everybody else is going, oh, I've, I've got I've to send my kids or I've got to go to these SAT practice things or else I'll, I'll not be able to do a good job on the SATs. Oh, I've got to get over here to this baseball practice or I won't be able. It's always costly to set ourselves. I'm meddling right there, right? Uh, but I'm wondering if maybe something even in our weekly worship, weekly, 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 we gather and we just declare to everybody, he is the king of my life. 
The, the other thing that came to my mind actually originated here a good while ago. I may not have the story right, so correct me between the next service if I don't. Years ago, some high school students right here from Lake Avenue Church who were attending Marshall Fundamental School right here in Pasadena, right, right on Allen, looked for a way to identify themselves as Christians. I've been told it was John and Gretchen Gates uh, who were serving the Lord in another part of the world. They chose to start a student club that would meet each week right there over lunchtime, and they would just gather there so that everybody could see them going in, and they would meet to pray and to hear something from God's Word. They simply called it the Christian Club. By, by doing so, they thought they would be able to remind themselves and all their fellow students and faculty members who saw them going there that they were Christians. I think that group still meets. So I'm not exactly sure how that might play out in your life, but, but I want you, like Daniel, to be led by the Spirit and finding a way simply to let people know that you belong to Jesus and, and then you become the best worker, the best student in that place that you ever could be. Because you're just like Daniel, you and I, we have two passports too. Daniel would live in Babylon for the rest of his life, but all the time his ultimate allegiance was never going to be to Babylon. He would live there but he would always live for his true king. He somehow knew that in living for his true king, he would be a better citizen there in Babylon, and he was. He chose this one thing, and it seemed to anchor him for the rest of his life. And maybe as I read it, I tried to slow down so you could pick it up. Verse 21 is so powerful. Look at it, it really takes us all the way through Daniel's life to let us sort of know what, what took place for the rest of his life. And here's what it says. Daniel remained in Babylon until the first year of King Cyrus. No, you don't see it yet. Let me, let, let me, let me tell. So here was Daniel under this seemingly invincible king who would never be defeated, living for Jehovah God in 605 B.C. as a 15-year-old. In verse 21, here's the same Daniel doing the same thing, living and being a blessing in his country, but no longer as a 15-year-old, but as an 82-year-old. Something he did there put something at the very heart of his life that made it possible for him to live and to live well in that place where God had put him. So today as you leave church, uh, I want you to see the place to which you go, even if it's not the place that you would have ever chosen. Uh, the place to which you go as a place where you're not just going there, you are actually sent by God. Mm. Prayerfully identify something that will make it clear to you and clear to those who watch you that you belong to God. Uh, Make it evident, both to yourself and to the world around you, whose you are. And then, when they know that, seek to bless those around you through the way that you serve, the way you speak, the way you live. To God's glory alone. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers and Oh, Father, it just seems like this word is so relevant to all of us. I pray.
that I've been faithful to it, I pray in every place where I have that you would empower this word through your Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. That as we leave this place of worship and go out to live lives of worship with you as the king of our lives, that we will be led by you, that this, your word, may direct us. And just like you used Daniel and these three others so powerfully, where you put them, that you would use us too. Do your work in our hearts and our lives. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.